This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. We've sort of exposed a bigger issue, and the bigger issue in footy at the moment is a lot of players are just not coping with the COVID restraints. Players are not coping with the onerous conditions they're being asked to do. And the AFL saying, look, we've got to get the season finished. It's a pandemic. Get over yourselves. First of all, he lied to his leader, Malcolm Turnbull. And another reason I'm grumpy, yesterday at the press conference, he said, I don't want to dwell on the personal. Well, I'm sorry, Barnaby, but we need to know the character of our leaders. This is personal. I'm going to have a few days in Rome. I'm going to skip over the bridge to Trastevere region, that little gorgeous suburb. Trastevere. It's Trastevere. Valle Italiano. Anyway. Could somebody please phone in and let us know. We can't Whatever it is, it's a gorgeous little spot on the other side of the Tiber. I'm going to pop into Pompeii. And what are your thoughts on the Julie Bishop doll? Oh, well, she was a very successful politician who quit while she was ahead. I think it's a fantastic idea. And great high heels. And she's stylish. Yeah. She got the red shoes on. I I don't think she has. You rock a granulata, I have to say. I rock an Osabuco. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 177 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corrie Perkin and it's a beautiful winter morning here in Melbourne and I'm here with my fellow potty and my dear friend Caroline Wilson. How are you, Caro? I'm good, Corrie, particularly when I'm looking at what Jane has brought in this morning. Brought in this morning. She's outdone herself with those winter roses. They are, That is the most beautiful posy. The first of the camellias. Oh, stunning. Oh, and at least we know now, Caro, that she's not thieving around the suburbs of her local patch because she has a new home with a beautiful garden, Jane. Well, she's don't probably, you? I don't think that, I don't think that would stop her from doing, hitting the roadside. <laughs> but Corrie, my camellias have been out for some time. I planted a whole lot of new camellias, a hedge in my front courtyard, and they have been absolutely beautiful. Sasanquas. Well, that's, that's great. Uh, and I'm pleased to uh, reveal that um, walking the other night, I was hit by that beautiful, intense smell of Daphne. So somebody's Daphne is flowering early, which is great news because I always get to Daphne and I think, oh, it's the light end of the year, even though, <laughs> even though it's winter solstice. We've still got a long way to go. But, Caro, today we just thought we'd change the pace a little bit. We're travelling to Italy mainly because we can't. Are we? We are. We're going to Italy. We're off. We're off really? in our heads. Yes, we are. Oh, in our heads. Okay. Well, All in right. the, in the olden days, pre-Corona, we would have not just us, but I'm sure lots of our listeners would have been planning little European sojourns, uh, spending months, years saving up for that trip in the middle of the year. And of course, a lot of us do love going to Italy for that summer holiday in the middle of the year. And um, I just think of wonderful times that I've had there, and I'm sure potties can reflect on this too. And when I looked at the book that I had chosen, the movie that you and I had seen, discussing the cocktail cabinet choice with Miles, there was suddenly a theme, and it was Italia. I think that's a brilliant idea, Corrie, and I'm I'm on board with the recipe, which is a tried and true one, but it's Italian, and I made it on Sunday night for family dinner, and so very happy to be Groovy. very happy to be put in my suitcase, transported, going to Italy. Off we go. So first of all, of course, we must thank our. Uh, podcast sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. We love both of you guys. You're all terrific. You've supported Carol and I through this podcast journey. And thank you very much. And also to our listeners who continue to send us their wonderful messages via Instagram, Facebook, and of course, 
on uh, directly to Miss Jane. I've completely forgotten the email address, Miss Jane. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. You would think after four years I would actually <laughs> have that tattooed in my head, but I don't. So uh, on to housekeeping. Fleur Bunches via Instagram said, Corrie and Caro, I had quite a tear in my eye at the news of the closing of your bookshop, but as they say, a new chapter of your life is to be written. Please come to Ballarat and taste our very own gin. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. It's fantastic. We have the distillery or you can buy the many kinds of campaigns on on uh, of Mare Street. And Campanus. Oh, Campanus. Wonderful oh. bottle shop. Yes, I know. I know it. Um, Charlie's um, friend, family friend owns it. Yep, I go there all the time on the corner of Mare and Armstrong Streets opposite that awful new government building, which I think is just hideous. And so does Hattie, by the way, at the age of four, has been saying that she doesn't like the building. And Corrie, there's a lot of people really upset to hear that you're shutting your shop, which of course made big news, even hit you know, the Age and the Australian last week, top of their um, re- websites, and I'm sure you had a huge response, but Deirdre McDonough um, encapsulates it really. I won't read all of it, but um, she's just returned from an amazing holiday in New Zealand. She left on lockdown day, returned after we sort of opened up. Um, to fast forward, she was simply devastated to read your, your shutting your shop. She has recommended this podcast to so many people, even in New Zealand, and not one person has not loved it. She's sure everyone feels the same as she does. Very sad for you. Enjoy your online business without as much stress, and we will all continue to enjoy your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you, Deirdre, and thank you also to all of the listeners who have been popping into the shop over the past few days, well, indeed, for years, really supporting us, but... The messages of love from everybody, uh, listeners, non-listeners, has been truly amazing. Caro, last week you also uh, had a bit of news too. You were a bit of a news item with regarding regarding your comments about a couple of St Kilda players who had opted not to play for family reasons. And we had lots of messages and support for you, Caro. We had a couple of uh, brickbats as well, which is always to be expected. We don't mind that. Um, Charlie Orr via email. Hello, Miss Jane, Caro and Corrie. Jane comes first. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you think she's getting a bit big for her boots, oh. Caro? <laughs> we, we created a monster, Corrie. It happened long ago. Anyway, I'm a dedicated listener of the podcast. My husband introduced me to it a few years ago, and I've hardly missed an episode since. Today, I considered whether I can continue to listen, such as the level of my disappointment over Caro's comments about Seb Ross. As Caro says, she's entitled to her opinion. That doesn't mean that it is not disappointing or detrimental to women. And uh, Charlie goes on to say she's a 35-year-old professional woman and she doesn't know anyone in her circle of friends who works for an organisation that would prevent them having time off to help their spouse who might be struggling after the birth of a child. And she said, I happen to have my first baby this year and have encountered many women who have struggled mentally following the birth of their child. Would it have made a difference to you if Seb Ross's partner was hospitalised for postnatal depression? Is this what it takes before AFL players should be allowed to return home to their struggling partner a mere five weeks out from giving birth to twins? And Charlie continues, Caro, the reason this means so much is because of the level of respect you garner across the country. Your voice is far-reaching. If we can't expect people who espouse themselves as feminists to be a positive voice for new mothers and indeed women generally by acknowledging the crucial role that men are required to play in child-rearing and supporting women post-birth, then what chance do we have? And she hopes that you'll reconsider uh, your an opinion change. So, uh, Caro, that's a bit of a, a whack from Charlie and... 
I, uh, you and I have talked about this offline as we've walked and, and done different things over the past week. And there is a bit of background to this story, which is it relates to uh, conversations you've had with club officials, AFL people and so on. Um, when you stick your neck out on an issue, you do it knowing that you're standing on a foundation of fact and truth, it would be fair Look, to yeah, say. Look, there, there are two. There, one, one level is that, you know, as a... I mean, a lot of not everyone agreed with me, and some people did agree with me, and we've got a few, you know, a lot of letters here that do. But um, one issue was that the story, which was correct, St Kilda were disappointed, and nobody disputes that now. So people were shocked, horrified, stunned, staggered at what I said, and yet they don't seem to be, you know, the, the fact that even some of the teammates, you know, wanted Seb Ross to stay and were disappointed, and others at the club didn't seem to garner as much anguish as I as was directed at me. And I made the point, I just said supporters and sponsors and members had were entitled to feel a little bit disappointed that Seb didn't play. Now I think the I think it was an overreaction. I think it did get a bit personal, but anyway, you know, everyone's we're allowed to all blue about this and have different opinions. I stand by what I said. I think a lot of employers are not nearly as um welfare conscious and as um, understanding as the AFL is. I think St Kilda have been bagged for not coming out and smashing me and tacitly sort of agreeing that there was disappointment have been, you know, really criticised as well. But um, I don't agree that it would happen in every workplace and I don't think my comments were detrimental to women. I think the fact that a woman made the comments probably made it... A lot of the blokes were saying, oh, imagine if we'd said it. I think the fact a woman said it made it even worse for Mm. some people. More newsworthy for sure. So it was sort of gender-based. Anyway, look... Well, Charlie, I hope you... It's over now and Seb Ross is going to play against the Tigers this weekend and I'm sure he'll have a fabulous game. (laughs) He'll probably thrash you. Hopefully not too good. Um, Charlie, please stay with us. The whole point of this podcast is that we chat about all sorts of issues and we have different, uh, we bring different opinions, including our listeners' opinions, to the table and it's all in a, in a spirit of uh, mutual regard and respect and so on. So please stick with us. And Suzanne Lynch via Facebook said, Caro, your comments were on the ball. Even my footy mad partner supports your comments um, and is saying, what has happened to the footy world can't you have an opinion? Stay with it, Caro. You got it right. So there were lots well, of... Well, um... we've sort of exposed a bigger issue. And the bigger issue in footy at the moment is a lot of players are just not coping with the COVID restraints. You know, even um, the Bulldogs boss, Amit Baines, was interviewed by us on 3AW on the weekend. I think he went on SEN as well and said, look, cracks are appearing everywhere, particularly among clubs who aren't going to make finals. And it's just too onerous. We understand it's our reality that a lot of people are a lot worse off, but... The fatigue, you know, the Bulldogs having to go and quarantine all week in WA. They can sort of go out and train, but they can't do much else. Um, other pl- other clubs are having to fly, for example, into Adelaide and just sit in a room or sit in a corner of um, Adelaide Oval before they play. Clubs are not coping. Players are not coping with the onerous conditions they're being asked to do. And the AFL saying, look, we've got to get the season finished. It's a pandemic. Get over yourselves. But there is a level of falling out here, players and coaches, because there aren't enough coaches now, because they've all lost their, a lot of them have lost their jobs and had massive pay cuts. The players haven't. So there is a disconnect and it's a much bigger issue than mm. just a St Kilda one. Now, I wasn't the only one bagged this week. Your daughter, Francesca, by, uh, from Kaz Hanel, was told she must never throw away chilies. It's sacrilege in her book. 
freeze them, Checker. They don't take up that much room. Her husband and I love, and her love hot food. They grow chilies in the garden. I must say, we've got heaps at the moment too, Checker. And when we don't need them for cooking, we put them in the freezer. So, Corrie... Pass that on to your daughter, please. Well, she's a keen listener of the podcast, so you can tell her yourself, really. Caro, uh, we are we love feedback. Thanks, everybody. And keep those emails and notes and messages on Instagram coming. We're off to Italy now. Jane's going to play us a little bit of music here. Mamma, son tanto felice perché ritorno da te. Yes, there we are. Chin chin. Here we are. On the Amalfi Coast. No, I'm starting in Rome. I'm flying into Rome mm. because, um, is it Fumicino? Is Fumicino the... or you or Da Vinci, whichever one you prefer. Well, whichever one. I'm going to have a few days in Rome. I'm going to skip over the bridge to the to Trastevere region, that, that little gorgeous suburb. Trastevere. Trastevere. Uh. It actually is. It's Trastavere. Vale, Italiano. Anyway. Could somebody please phone in and let us know what you had with the Whatever it is, it's a gorgeous little spot on the other side of the Tiber. Um, Great flea market on Sunday mornings. Fabulous little restaurants. I'll have the swordfish with the olives on top that I had last time. It, it is just the most beautiful. I have a few days in Rome and then I'm going to get in the car, Corrie, and I'm going to drive down to Naples, going to have a couple of nights there. I'm going to pop into Pompeii because that is one of the great tourist attractions of the world. Do you remember in the trip with oh, yes. Steve um, Coogan <laughs> and Rob Brydon? That, that, that is They're a... walking around Pompeii doing <laughs> impersonations of Sean Connery. Yep, go on. And then, But you know where I'm going to go in on the Amalfi Coast? I'm going to go to the home of ceramics where I think you've actually stayed. Yes, in once. Salerno. Um, near, well, near Salerno, and then I'm going to go to Cetera, which is a tiny little town where a lot of the men have very short necks. They, they didn't have – anyway, they were all <laughs> – <laughs> there's a gorgeous little gelati Apologies shop. Apologies if you come from that that part of the world or your family do. I'm going to have a meal at Aquapaza and walk along that beautiful little jetty. That is a gorgeous little town, Cetera. It is Absolutely beautiful. So that's my that's where I'm starting out. Oh, okay. Well, I, you, you and I discussed this ad Forget Positano. It's beautiful, but a bit yeah, too many people, too many tourists, too many German tourists. Uh, nothing. There's anything wrong with German tourists. Sorry. Stressing. I know, but that's my mother once told me that, and I've never forgotten it. Um, Caro, uh, well, you and I have discussed this ad nauseum, and I reckon we did this topic for probably three and a half hours with the corn balls, the Cornish walkers when we were walking through. What is your favourite city in the world? And mine is Rome. I think when you come from an Australian winter, you land at that airport, you catch a taxi into you or or, or a bus into you, into the centre or wherever you're staying, and you dump your stuff. No sleeps because it's usually the morning and you've got to work through the day so you don't get jet lag. And you go out into the sunshine and you have your first, I don't know, whatever it is that you want to drink, Prosecco or Campari and soda. I don't know. Is it the afternoon? It's usually about midday because the flight is often, or it used to be, you'd arrive at Rome Airport at about 7 in the morning. Yeah, we were sort of 5.30, so I think coffee in the morning. But no, I'd go straight to an Aperol Spritz. I know it's a bit conventional, but how beautiful. And then you can just sort of plan your day, amble around, and, and, and really, what is there not to love about Rome? And I must say, having been to Rome heaps of times and a few times on my own as a single woman, I've never felt threatened. I've never felt unsafe. 
even at nighttime during summer, you never feel that somebody's following you. There's such bonhomie and such goodwill. Yeah, I don't agree with that. When, oh, I, when I was gosh, there as a young person, I didn't feel threatened, but every, every second person tries to pick you up and chat oh, you up. Well, who's, well, that's that's not threatening. That's fun. Yeah, well, and, and you being blonde. Especially if you're been, 60. Well, no, Choices. but I'm, I'm, I was in my 20s when this happened. The, the home of ceramics, I should say, is not Salerno. It's called Vietri Sulmare. Oh, and yes. And it is the most beautiful. The, some of the ceramic shops there are incredible. Then you go to then you go to Cetera. Correct. With the men with no necks and have the go to the gelati place. And, oh, that's a, and can I just say village. that if you can't quite afford the Amalfi Coast uh, up up north toward Positano or Ravello, Vietra Sulmare, I had four days there and it was cheap as chips and it was just as fabulous, just as wonderful. Caro, a couple of times we've flown directly into Milan, yep. so Melbourne, Dubai, Dubai, Milan, and very quickly uh, changed from airport to railway station and caught the train to the Como. Little, little village of Como on Lake Como. So that's a bit like travelling from Melbourne to Frankston. And then same sort of thing, dump your stuff at the hotel. By this stage, you're feeling very discombobulated. But again, go out into the sunshine, out into that square opposite the church, the cathedral Which in is Como. so beautiful. It's such a pretty little town, Como. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it is. That And that basilica is just incredible. Isn't it gorgeous? Oh, dear, the memories and the where memories. would you stay? See, on, on Lake Como itself, I would go to Argenio, which is a, another little village right on the ferry stop. So it, it's nice to stay at places where you get off the ferry and you just walk straight to your hotel. And there's one little hotel there, which is, I think, called the Belvedere. Not the big Belvedere. That's right, yeah. But the little, little Belvedere, one, yes. Hotel de Belvedere. And, and it is just stunning. And we've stayed a couple of times at this beautiful home of um, an English couple in Lalio. And it's uh, about probably one kilometre's walk from George Clooney. So every morning when you go for your walk, you go back and forward past George Clooney's. In fact, they had on there, they had posted, uh, they had a little um, postcard on the fridge in the house with a photograph of George. And on the back of it was, Dear Lalio residents, I have moved into the area. Thank you so much for welcoming and thank you for respecting our privacy uh, let's all have a wonderful summer. Love, George. Uh, how gorgeous is that? Oh, it's a little bit presumptuous, isn't it? <laughs> he got tickets on him. Do, then it's Italians George all following Clooney. him around. They love him. And the Black Cat or La Chat Noire, whatever they call it, um, the fantastic restaurant up above uh, Como, the, the little town of Como, is where he regularly goes. And you, if you go there, just don't look him in the eye or don't go and ask for his autograph, which I, I would never do, but be nice oh, to I would. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. What about um, what about that beautiful um, Santa Margarita? That's another beautiful yeah. part in the um, Ligurian yes, area. Yes, and those old-style continental hotels that used to, in the 20s and 30s, look after British tourists. And yep. they really are still faded, glamorous, gorgeous hotels. Probably. They still have a bridge room, which yeah. actually, last time I went there, I wasn't really into bridge. This time, I reckon on a bad day, I'd be in there like Flynn. The language could be an issue. And then walk to Portofino, which is about, I don't know, it's only about five k's, isn't it's it? It's gorgeous. Oh, that, that's a beautiful walk. And then last time we were there, we stayed, as I said, at Vietra Silmari, um, and 
we crossed, we hired a car and we crossed the ankle of the boot of Italy into Matera, which is that amazing old town on the hill that is all, they're all cave dwellings. So the homes are all, all built into the cave. And then, of course, um, during the 1930s, Mussolini declared it uh, a cholera centre. He, he was too embarrassed in terms of Italy's progress to have people living in caves and said no more, no more, and shut it down. And about 30 or 40 years later, uh, UNESCO declared it uh, a city of importance and it's been resurrected and you can stay there. We stayed in this great little hotel in this amazing... I think they filmed that movie, the Christ movie there. Um, with Last Mel- Temptation yeah, of Pro- with, Christ. Yeah, that's right. They filmed it there. Anyway, it's a fantastic place and then you just drive on to Puglia or something. It's just a fantastic area. So where are we going to next that we haven't been to in Italy? Well, I, I haven't. I have been to Tuscany and I want to go back there again. There's a little, a walled t- lots of walled towns near where we stayed when mum took us all there for her 70th called Colli di Van Elsa, which was just absolutely beautiful. We were sort of, sort of between... Well, we weren't far from Siena, which is another beautiful town. But one day, a few of the family members went on a road trip. We had a side trip to Venice and had a a night there, which was just so much fun. And finally got to Peggy Guggenheim's museum. Oh, yes. Every time I'd been to Venice, it had been closed. That is just the most gorgeous and what, little And house. what about in the garden? She has the memorial to all her pug dogs. Oh, it's it's incredible. And all their, all their ashes are in, in the wall, and there are about 32 of them. And there's a great maritime museum in Venice that people don't often get to, which has got a lot of her gondolas anyway and shell collection. And the Biennale every two years, which we just love. But back to Tuscany, on this road trip, we went to Montalcino and Montepulciano and Pienza and that all that area. Those Again, those hilltop villages and, you know, some most incredible churches and cathedrals at the bottom of the hills. And you just wander into what looks like an inconsequential restaurant, but you walk through it. And at the other side, you're on this balcony overlooking, you know, the entire of t- the patchwork quilt of sort of Tuscany. Oh, isn't it oh, gorgeous? Heavenly. So, as you know, uh, we look, especially in the years of having the bookshop, travel hasn't been uh, huge on the agenda. As much as I would have loved to have travelled, we haven't gone kind of every year or every second year. But we did, um, we did make a, a pact years ago that we were going to not so much go to lots and lots of countries in the world, but we wanted to go to every province in Italy if that was possible. So I think we've done about 12. But the next one on the agenda, Caro, and I'm yes. interested to know where you'd like to go, you know, when we're all allowed to travel, uh, Calabria. Oh, my gosh. So there Never is, been there. There Good is idea. Um, if people are interested in learning about Calabria, there, um, there, is, uh, there was a Guardian travel story about two years ago. If you just type in Guardian, and I can't remember the journalist's name, but they said that Calabria was just completely unexplored territory for the entire week that this journalist was there on the beautiful coastal regions, the La Riviera de Cedri, which is um, just gorgeous, and the Bay of Squilanche. Um he he did this journalist did not meet another english person another brit and the whole time so that's unusual in the peak of summer in italy so that's where i'm going where would you like to go well i've i've never been to sicily at all so and i'd i would absolutely love it's beautiful i'd go I'd love to follow the whole um di lampedusa you know the leopard sort of area which apparently you can go and stay in his house i i would love I would absolutely love to go to Taormina. I mean, just everywhere. I'd, I'd love to spend probably a month in Sicily and feel as though I had gone to the whole 
Well, do you remember our friend Gina did that a few years ago? Yes. She, she travelled around Sicily for three or four weeks. What a fantastic thing to do. Yep, we have to do that. And a couple of reads, Corrie. Now, Tom Rackman is an author I just absolutely love. He wrote The Italian, Italian Teacher. Teacher. He's actually not Italian in any way, I don't think, but that novel is set between Rome Oh, but and... he was a journalist who worked in Rome, do you remember? Yes, and, and that the other novel, The Imperfectionist, about the Rome, the newspaper office in Rome, is absolutely wonderful. The Italian teachers set partly in Rome, partly in London, partly in New York, but they are fantastic. Obviously, The Leopard, we need to read. And if we're going back to Naples, which we are later for our film, or near Naples, um, Elena, Elena Ferrenti, the, my brilliant friend quartet or... Yes, I think it is. There four of them. I think Evocative. Oh, I just love those. And books. then E.M. Forster's Room with a View, which we will uh, mention in during book a bit later on. Uh, we're very interested, Potties, in your tips on Italy, places you've been, even restaurants, hotels. I don't know. We'll just make a huge list. And then Miss Jane's going to organise a, a group tour to Italy, and Carol and I'll be leading it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we go, we're hoping to go next year. No, that is not quite. Well, hey, we could do that. Don't shoot. Potty's on tour. Don't oh, shoot the messenger. Heaven. There's a travel company or maybe a cruise line or an airline. Just contact me. Feedback. Don't shoot pod.com.au. Tax run off, Corey. <laughs> yeah, we're there. Come on. But we, we we are very keen to hear your tips and your feedback. It's just, it look, it is an indulgent. It's an indulgent day today. Last week was very heavy on the podcast and we just thought, let's just pretend that we're just packing our bags, as Caro knows my rule, three, three, three and three of everything and pack Which our I bags. Which I never stick to. And, and off we go. And Syracuse, so, that's a place, the other place I want to go. Yeah, that's just, in, yes, gorgeous. In but Sicily. Ta- and Tamina is just out of this world. Yeah. Full of tourists, but really, really beautiful up on the hill. So gorgeous. So uh, let's just continue the Italian theme. And off we go on a journey with Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Street with the Cocktail Kitchen. Oh, and the clink of glasses means it's time to welcome Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store back in person, back in the studio with bottles of wine. Hello, Miles. Oh, nice to be back. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you, but it's really nice to see the two bottles of wine. Yeah, that you I have thought there. I'd bring some in today so you can. Uh... So the the theme, of course, is Italy. We are off on an aeroplane on our way to a Rome piazza where we're going to have our first drink. And um, can I just say, in terms of research for today's program, Miles, last night I opened a bottle that you had very kindly chosen for me of Suave, which we mm. were talking about, a beautiful uh, white wine, quite dry, Monte Tondo. M-O-N-T-E, new word, T-O-N-D-O. And um, this is fabulous. Tell me about this wine. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't know a lot about it. It's um, it's sort of come into the market recently, but it is very tasty and it is very inexpensive. It's probably one of the best value suaves around. So all, all unoaked, um, sort of all in tank, so it kind of remain. It, it just stays nice and fresh. Which is kind of what you want with with suave. There are oaked versions, but it's really a wine that's about fresh, bright, clean fruit, and that Monte Tondo sort of delivers that in spades. It's a beautiful colour. I've made these notes. A beautiful colour, a oh. kind of a, a pale yellow, and um, I thought it's dry and gorgeous. And I thought just perfect actually as an aperitif, Caro. I mean, oh, you know, okay. When, when you and I play Scrabble, and you know how we knock off a bottle of nice wine. <laughs> <laughs> or champagne. You knock or... that one off quick. Sometimes we drink cups of tea, depending oh. on the time of day. Heart, yes, we heart do. <laughs> <laughs> Corrie stormed off before the end of the game last time we played, Miles, because oh. um, 
Well, she claimed she had to be somewhere. Oh, you but... had Adelaide Radio. Don't blame yeah. me. <laughs> that would have taken 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You were winning. I was winning. I was yeah. prepared to she hang said out. The game's she said, over. I've got Adelaide Radio. I've got to go now. And, oh, well, tell them to wait. You know, I'm about no, to do a second No, that is not what happened. The second win coming. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> Su- suave. Okay. Yeah, so know. we'll do that. Now, tell us some. Tell us about these two bottles that you've bought in. So on that, I bought, uh, well, two wines. They're both from the north. They're both from, one's from the, the um, sort of middle sort of north around that sort of Val Policello, around that region there. And then one's from Piedmont. So the first one is another Suave because you were telling me how much you love them. Um, and it's called Antonio and it's um, Antonio Ferrari, I think is the winemaker. So he's been a winemaker to all the great sort of uh, Suave producers uh, there and he makes this himself. So he gets really wonderful fruit. It's all from the hills. So Suave has got, the area has the hills, which are the classic sort of region, which have tend to have the best fruit on it. And then it has the sort of lower lying regions, which are a bit, which have the sort of, uh, the fruit's not as, not as good, not considered as good. So this is mainly from the hills. So 250, 500 metres, so quite high up in, in points. Uh, sorry, as far as in height, and uh, just as a, it's it's like that Monte Tondo, just lovely, fresh, bright, very clean. Has that lovely peachy sort of thing that you get with Suave, and the main variety is Garganega. That's what they use in Suave, and often it's blended with a bit of Trebbiano as well, which is a fairly neutral Italian varietal. But it's it's in the same vein as that, really. Well, not, wish, not wishing to uh, name drop, uh, but we are talking about places we've been to in Italy. I, um, a few years ago, I went to Piedmonte and stayed at this um, great hotel, which still exists post-coronavirus. It's still there, La Villa. It's called La Villa Hotel, and it's owned by an English couple, mm. Chris and Nicola, I think their names are. And so for three days, we just chuffed around in a car. Interestingly, Carol, you can't just rock up to a winery. We didn't realise because we were in the wine capital, one of the wine capitals of Italy, and we thought, oh, well, it's just like the Yarra Valley. No, you have to have bookings and you have to have introductions. They're very strict about it. So um, Nicola, they were, very, they were very helpful for us. But we spent three days on the Suave Trail, actually, mm. to be honest, and drunk at at morning, noon and night, really. But they wouldn't Lunchtime. let you in unless you had a booking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, a bit of a travel tip if anybody is keen to do a wine exploration. I would hook into a, probably a little tour or something yeah. like that. I think Europe in general is like that. They don't have the wine tourism that, say, North America and Canada and Australia and has, unfortunately. You've, it's, you've got to sort of know people. You've got to make some bookings. It's, just, it's, very, it's very different. Tuscany is a bit different. You know, Chianti in the hills there, it's it's a bit easier. They're often quite happy to see you. There's lots of producers. So, um, but yeah, it can be a bit difficult. But I haven't been to Piedmont. I've been to I've been to the Suave Hill. I've, I've, I've looked at the hill. It's beautiful. I mean, it's all beautiful all through there. So, so tell us about the other wine you've bought in. So the other bought one is, is from a very traditional Barolo producer. So Barolo's the, the, Barolo and Barbaresco are the two sort of famous wines coming out of Piedmont, which are based on the grape Nebbiolo. And this is a Nebbiolo blended with Barbera, and Barbera is the other sort of main red varietal that you see out of Piedmont. And Barbera is, Nebbiolo is quite high in acid. It's very tannic, but has a beautiful sort of what they call tar and roses 
element to it, so a really lovely lifted floral element and a kind of deep sort of earthy thing. I love that. Tar and roses. Tar and roses. Well, that's a really nice wine. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and there's a producer here, yeah. uh, Adelaide Hills? or Yes, it's a, it's a Pinot Grigio, the one I've had, but yeah. it's sort of got a pale pinky colour. Well, they do a full, yeah, they do a full suite and they have, they have a few Italian wines, which is why they call themselves Tar and Roses. Are they allowed to call it Pinot Grigio? Uh, yeah, that's fine. It's yep. just a grape variety. Yep, okay. It usually refers like... to the style, if you call it Did Grigio. Did you think you could go to an area called Pinot Grigio? Yeah, well, I don't. <laughs> like Champagne Valley. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm an idiot. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Start, let, let, we'll... Where are you going on your holidays? Oh, Pinot Grigio. <laughs> well, remember, you, we talked about the fact you couldn't call it Horton's White Burgundy anymore, but that's different, I know. Because... Yeah, because Burgundy is the region. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So Grigio Sorry. is just the grape, and Gris if it's... Um, that sort of richer sort of style. That's the general rule that I follow. But in Australia, it's really difficult to know. So so are we buying these from so, Prince? Absolutely. So just back to this one quickly. <laughs> yeah. Blended with Barbera, which is a really soft, fruity sort of grape. So the two together work really well. It sort of tames some of that, that tannin. I tried this recently and it's so good. To have with what? Oh, with anything. <laughs> no, you know, something slow-cooked is pretty classic from that sort of region, you know, any sort of slow-cooked meat dishes, you know. Can you equate, it to, can you equate it to a, a variety or a taste that you've had locally? Oh, no, I can't, and that's what I love about Italian reds in particular. They really have their own Spanish reds, Italian reds. Um, they have their own flavour and aroma profile that's, yeah, they kind of stand apart. So they tend to have a sort of red cherry. I mean, this has this really beautiful sort of red cherry, very spicy, has that kind of earthy note to it. And it has a bit of that bite, a bit of that tannin bite, but that makes it perfect to have with a bit of food. So something like slow cooked some or roasted meat or, you know, roasted lamb or something like that would just be spot on. Do you think it's really unhealthy that at quarter to ten on a midweek it's morning. It's sounding really nice. Uh, yeah, my, 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 I'm salivating. Actually, as Miles is talking, I can taste it. I can. You're a very good descriptor of wine, mm. Miles. Well, they both sound lovely, and we can They're buy delicious. them at Prince. And our Absolutely. listeners are going to get a special offer, maybe. Yeah, so they get... <laughs> Possibly, uh, if they're good. <laughs> yeah, you get 10% off. Um, Brilliant. So the code M-E-S-S, for don't shoot the messenger, M-E-S-S, and you put it in at the... Um, uh, in the cart when you're checking out, and it'll take the ten percent off. And those are on the the uh, don't shoot the messenger page as well. So, so guys, I just want to tell you all and Caro too that, as you know, Prince is now my go-to wine shop, yes. and I deal with Miles and Gab uh, on the email, and they are very happy to help me on my journey of like, what do we feel like today, kind of thing. And we have a few experiments like the Suave, but you very kindly delivered it to the bookshop yesterday because we've been trying to get together on that. And the other thing too is I organised through Prince to give my son-in-law Charlie a gift voucher, Caro, for his birthday from Prince, which I actually still haven't given it to him yet because I haven't oh. paid you yet, Miles. Because I've That's got to, right. I've got to pay you before I give it to Sitting him. Sitting there, ready to go. But I've just now told him I've just given away the surprise. <laughs> but that was also a really good thing to do, I have to say. A gift voucher. Yeah. And speaking of, Miss Jane. Well, we're really excited and thank you, Miles, and the whole team at Prince Wine Store because we have just launched a competition. Yay. The other great gift we're recommending, and maybe in the you know lead up to Father's Day, is a Prince Wine Store introductory wine course. And thanks to Prince, we have double passes to give away so that you and a friend can head along and do this wine course. So the perfect starting point to learn more about... 
You might have won. to send Caro so she can learn about her Puget Pinot Grigios. <laughs> so these are valued at like $350 per wow. person. And you do need to be over 18. Let's just state that for a <laughs> well, fact. obviously. <laughs> but you can also, if you're not in Melbourne and can't get here, I'm assuming you can enter and then perhaps gift it to someone who is able to come along to the course. All we need you to do is tell us in 100 words or less about your best wine experience or adventure. And you've kind of led the way there with the Suave Trail, uh, Corrie. So head to iCanWin.com.au. This is the competition site. All the terms and conditions are there. This is official, Corrie. This isn't just like... Am I frowning at you suspiciously, Jane? <laughs> it's not I'm just not, sorry, send me I'll an email. I'll wipe, that, I'll wipe that off my face. I'm kind of going, God, this is so it's, administratively organised. I didn't know we were doing this. It's proper, proper. Because, yeah, two, two tickets at three fifty each. Miles, so how do you do it? <laughs> God, you're giving away the family farm. So, look, Pretty I'll much. put all the links in the show notes. Now, Miles, just to prove that you are also part of the Don't Share the Messenger crew, you have a gift that got sent to oh. you from one of our lovely listeners. <laughs> Caro, do you what want to surprise. open your little Miles, box you're going to have your there. own show before we know it. <laughs> one it came for me, Was one the, came for Are they for all Corey. the same? They're yes. all the same, I think. Caro's going to open it oh, on our behalf. Okay. Drinks, plinks, ice shapes with attitude. Okay. Oh. These are ice trays and they are in the shape of a G. For gin. Oh, Big, I love chunky. That. Oh, that's fantastic. And the other ones are squares. I've been to restaurants oh, and been out. And actually, yep. it was probably Tony from Prince that bought them in last year. These gigantic ice cubes I love that. that will last on a hot summer's day the in your uh, That's a lovely drink. shape. Oh. But they're not that's too big. Because cool. I hate those ones that are so big, you feel as though you're getting a bit ripped off and you're not <laughs> oh, when getting you, any. No, when you, when you put the glass, to, like you get yeah. clunk all over your face because yeah. it's so heavy. Freezes but, your um, nose. Who are we thanking for this? Plinks. Drinks. Plinks. I've just followed them on Instagram and I'll be sure to tag them. So they just sent us a, a little note and one box for each of us to say, uh, we thought you would like a little something to add to your next round of cocktails. These trays make ice shapes with attitude. So drinks plinks on Facebook and on Instagram. So we must thank the team because these, I can see, are going to get a lot Very of use. Cool. A the, lot of The use. square ones are quite good because they're in the shape of a noughts and crosses game. So they fit very easily into that overstocked freezer. <laughs> and they come out so easy of these. Um, yes, exactly. The, Unlike the rubber plastic. It's called the mega The silicon. And, yeah. and hopefully they don't break, which might have been known to when I've been a little bit desperate. Anyway, that's another story. Oh, Miles, tell us again the names of the two wines just before. So the Antonio Suave. Yes. And the Palo Scavino Vino Rosso. They sound absolutely delicious. Fantastic. If only delicious. we were drinking them in a hilltop somewhere oh, no. in the north of Italy. Oh, or... We can pretend we are. We can pretend we are. <laughs> um, Miles, um, thank you and everybody. Jump onto princewinestore.com.au and order your Italian wine. Thanks for coming in today. No, thank you for having me. Now, Caro, it's time for Crush of the Week and you have a crush. Do you mind if she's not Italian? Is that or he? But it, it's not. It, it's no, that's okay. We can go off piste for this moment. Okay. Sure. Although, if I'm going to mention an Italian woman I do have a crush on, it would definitely be Marcella Hazan because her cookbooks, and I think the most famous one, I think it's called um, The Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking, the one that came out in 1992, is one of the best recipe books. Everything she does is fail safe. But. The other day, Corrie, I was doing the offsiders and um, we have to get our makeup done in a special little area of the ABC at the moment, unless we're an ABC staffer because we're a guest. You know, we're sort of a bit, you know, we're sort of a bit like lepers, but, you know, like anywhere now. I mean, that's how we're feeling about Queensland at the moment until we find out we can go back there, which hopefully is any minute now. Um, 
And I met for the first time Samantha Maiden. Now, you and I love Samantha Maiden's work. We do. We spoke about her earlier this year. Um, She's a nasty, mean-spirited article about her. that In the Fin Review. Oh, that really, it was just a really... Did you talk about that with her? No, we di- no, I didn't. I didn't. Well, she was in makeup and wearing a particularly nice frock, which I admired. It looked like a Missoni, but it wasn't. And um, speaking so we, of Italian, <laughs> so we did a bit. Of, we did a bit of fashion, and I just, you know, said, um, I think she look, you know, she absolutely won her way to my heart by saying, "My sons will be um, very impressed that I've met you." And I said, "Well, my daughters will be very impressed oh, I've met you." Excuse me, I'm going to vomit. And, and she told me this really, real. I mean, the the work she did on Brittany Higgins, on Christian Porter. I mean, she has done an unbelievable job. People say she got too involved in the story. For heaven's sake, she broke some pretty major stuff on both and those. what's wrong with that? I mean, I think of our friend Nick McKenzie and the relationship that he's forged with, uh, well, one former soldier in particular yep. to get to the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. These are, these are cutting-edge issues that she has become invested in and has c- completely changed the national conversation and the way Canberra behaves. So I salute her. But anyway, she just um, was talking about the fact that her husband's a South Australian but um, moved to Canberra very early in life. And um, I think an aunt got her Balmain Tigers mixed up with the Richmond Tigers because he was an NRL fan and accidentally sent him a Richmond Tigers jumper. So he became a Richmond supporter That's sort right. of accidentally and after years and years of misery actually went with her sons to the grand final in 2017 and what a happy day it was. So anyway, it was just lovely to meet her and I've always been so impressed with her work. I think she's one of the great journos we've got. So that is my crush, Cory. And now for Red Energy... It's time for BSF, Book, Screen and Food, and you're going to kick us off with a book. I am. I'm holding it up to the camera, Caro. Still Life by Sarah Winman. Now, Caro, I don't know whether you've read Sarah Winman's other novels, Tin Man, A Year of Marvellous Ways and When God Was a Rabbit. No. All have done very well. No, but never you heard may, of her. You may recall, she won't come to mind because she was. she's an actor, Sarah Winman. She's an, she's an English actor, and uh, she was in the 1990s and 2000s in in episodes like The Bill and Midsummer Murders, those sorts of programs. Um, no movies as far as I can see, but her face is familiar. So uh, when I jumped on the Sarah Women website, I went, oh, yes, I know that face so well. She seems to have been in a raft of those sorts of dramas that you and I love. But she's written this beautiful book. And, Carol, I have to say that when I started reading this book, I knew I was in the presence of a, of greatness. I knew I was reading a great book. I had that same feeling with The Dutch House with Anne Patchett a couple of years ago. I had the same feeling with Hamnet last year with Maggie O'Farrell and um, Camilla Shamsie's um, Home Fire. And, great. Uh, that was a great book anyway. And, and Richard Flanagan's uh, Narrow Road to the Deep um, North. So sometimes you're just reading a book and away you go. And this book has completely captured my heart. Interestingly, I went to, I decided it was going to be the book club book. So I was going to place an order for 50 or 60 copies with the rep. And they've sold out around the country, HarperCollins of the distributors. So more are coming back. But if your local bookshop doesn't have it, just please place an order because you will not be disappointed.
It starts off in 1944, Caro, um, a rather eccentric art historian, Evelyn Skinner, a lady in her 60s who has the rather annoying friend Margaret, who only is there for a moment. But they're taking cover from the Allied invasion of Italy in a local bar. And Evelyn's mission is to, as soon as the Allies um, cross through Italy and the Nazis are pushed back, Evelyn's job is to uh, um, touch base again with the artworks that have been hidden from the Nazis and make sure they're all okay. She's an art historian and an art restorer. We're not sure whether she's a spy, but that may come out later. It's been in the a common story. theme in recent years, hasn't it? Movies about art theft and what happened to well, art during the, World the, War II. Fabulous. It's not so much Evelyn's story, although she is a big presence in this book, uh, whether she's actually on the pages or not, because she meets a young British soldier called Ulysses Temper. And Ulysses is completely convinced that they're going to survive. And with uh, Ulysses, uh, Colonel they, they, and Evelyn, they hide from the bombing and overnight they have this extraordinary conversation about the power of art and the beauty of Italy. And Ulysses' life has changed forever. He does survive. He does go back to his life in East End London, which of course is bombed to the, to the bejesus and it starts working again at the pub and nothing is quite the same as it was before. His wife Peg, that's an interesting relationship. We come to that um, as the book goes through that, that extraordinary story. And uh, through a series of peculiar and rather wonderful events, Ulysses hits the road uh, with his friend Cress and a little girl known as Kid and a parrot called Claude, who is hilarious because he constantly quotes Shakespeare, and this unlikely travelling group make their way to Florence because all those years before, uh, Evelyn had had espoused the virtues and the beauty of Florence to Ulysses, and it's been in his mind ever since. How this story unfolds is their life in Florence. We travel from the 40s right through to the 1970s. It's a story of friendship, love, art and not only the joys in the extraordinary pleasures of great artworks and galleries like the Uffizi and wonderful cathedrals and everything, but also life's simple pleasures. Sitting, a, sitting in a piazza, uh, having a bowl of pasta that's been cooked by the local mama. It's just gorgeous, this book. Still Life by Sarah Winman. And because you've been such a lovely little, um, good little girl today, you have. I'm going to give you this copy. Oh, thank you. Of this book. Oh, I would love to read on it. On condition that you then pass it on to Anna from the op shop because Anna Barry, who was intending to have her 60th birthday year living in Italy for four or five weeks and was unable to do that last year, she will love this book too. It's a beautiful cover too, Corrie. Isn't it stunning? Look very nice in the blue section of your colour-coded bookshelves, as it would in mine, but I will, I will pass it on. <laughs> so wow, that, it, it so that like was a bit book. of a saga. Still, Still Life by Sarah Women. It's a joy to read. Now, we have a screen, an Italian screen, Caro. We did. We went on date night the other night, didn't we? A sort of last-minute thing. Wasn't it lovely to do? It was lovely. It you was... and I haven't been to the pictures together for eons. I was so shocked that you even proposed it that I said yes straight away. I, I was embarrassingly free. I told you I'm turning a new leaf this year. I'm going to see more movies at the picture theatre. So, well, well, this this film was set. It's near Naples, I think, where most of it is set. It's called From the Vine. Um, it is. It's an Italian Canadian co-production. I think we both agree it's not going to be. Um, 
up at the Oscars next year. <laughs> although, although but we both although, really enjoyed it. Although your crush, David Stratton, I saw his comments. He said yeah, he gave it three um, stars. Sean Sistero's film is, in its modest way, attractive enough. It doesn't aim very high, but it's celebration of old traditions in a world where environmental concerns are being set aside in the name of progress is certainly welcome. And so we have the. It's a it's a co-Canadian Italian production, yep. and the main character is a burnt-out executive who, at the um, at the monthly board meeting, has a throwdown and decides there has to be more to life than this, and decides to go back to Italy, where he was born, to his grandfather's farm, which in fact has a few tragic old vines on a hill, and he decides he's going to kickstart. Well, the, not only the local economy, but he's going to kickstart the vineyard. vineyard. Yeah. The house is in suspiciously good nick, given that the grandfather died many years ago. The grandfather sort of comes back to sort of haunt him at times in a good way. A touch of field of dreams, as one of the characters yes. said. <laughs> and there's a touch of, um, well, the statues in this beautiful hilltop town sort of speak and make, well, they don't speak, but they have, they do eye Facial roles. expressions. And also the vines talk too, which, which I loved. You know how I love a bit of a fairy in a garden. Which, as David Stratton observed, he said that method didn't really work very well. <laughs> the acting's not great, let's face it. Um, the main character, Marco, and it's based on a book called Finding Marco from the Vine, um, the main, Marco's sort of, he's a strange sort of character. You become quite, you start to like him. The acting from both his wife and daughter, who he leaves back in Canada and at some point come over and join him, uh, they're not great. The acting's not great. No. The local Italians are very cliched, including his childhood friend who's become the local policeman, um, the local weirdo who's squatting in the vineyard, um, the the other friend who's been work Marcello, I think, mm. who's working on the vines and who keep who's keeping the wine going and just making a small He's been amount. talking to them all through the years of Boutique the absence. Wines. Yeah. But look, it's just a visual feast. That's why it's worth going to. No, it was pretty gorgeous. Uh, look, I must say the the chap who the actor who plays that none of these actors are well known to me. I have to stress this, but um, Marco Leonardi, I think, is his name. Is he the one who played the Friend Enzo, the childhood think, yes. friend, very handsome, but very handsome. Yep, yeah. Well, for somebody of my age, I thought he was pretty handy. But um, oh, I think yeah. of someone of any age. But I, again, I don't think he, he'll he'll be winning the Oscar for best actor. But it was um, a really enjoyable night. The only problem was the second the movie ended, we were desperate for a glass. A glass of red wine because they make this incredible red wine. Well, that, that's part of the story. Could two women have run faster over the road to the local wine bar from the picture theatre than you and I? We, that did, night? we did enjoy a Pinot and then we might have, we were going to get an extra one each, but we went halves so we could get home and watch the footy. But no, it was a great night. Uh, uh, look, I, I wouldn't rush to see this film unless you just love all things Italian and it's such a beautiful... I didn't realise it was so near Naples. I sort of looked up the area and um, it's filmed in this actual town and it's just stunning. And you were speaking before about hilltop towns. It's a hilltop town. It's just beautiful, gorgeous. Yeah. How, they, you, how, they, how they lived. You wonder how they lived back in the 15th, 16th oh, century. Well, no wonder. I mean, eating all that pasta, no wonder they're all so thin because they're up and down like mountains. Goats. Exactly. Um, I, look, I've made it a movie weekend this weekend. There's one I'll talk about next week. But, Corrie, I did go and see Cruella. It's a fabulous film. It's really enjoyable. Um, it's quite long. It, Emma Stone, who plays Estella, who has sort of got the split personality, who becomes – it's sort of a prequel to 101 Dalmatians, so the written she by hates, Dodie Smith. So the re- reason she hates Dalmatians is because she's been bitten by one as a child? Or does that come out? 
No, there's something happens. Oh, okay. When she's a child, something happens to. Well, it, it's oh, no. Don't give it away. So um, there are two main characters in this. There um, is Estella, who is also Cruella, played by Emma Stone, and then Emma Thompson, who plays the Baroness. Now, it is worth it, and this is basically 60s, 70s London fashion. It's set during the 60s and 70s, starting in England somewhere, ending up in London. An extraordinary visual feast. If you love dogs, you will absolutely love it. Anna from the op shop just chuckled every time a dog came back on. There's a couple of major dogs characters in the film and not just Dalmatians. Do they talk? No, but um, no, they don't. But they have very, very major parts in the film. But honestly, I love the way you paused there. You weren't quite was, sure whether was, they did. Was trying Maybe to they speak dog language. I'm getting my films mixed up. But oh, it, the, it, vi- the vines talked. It, it's a visual, yes, exactly. It's a visual feast. They warn you at the beginning if you suffer from any sort of disorder to be, because there's a lot of flashing. Very Vivian Westwood, very Galliano. The fashions are just incredible. It is. It's worth seeing it just for that. The story's great. It's fast paced. It's. I don't know. Kids' films are so sophisticated now. Well, I wanted I to ask you. I wanted to ask are. you this on the weekend. Uh, Hattie and I sat down to watch Ants. I mean, I love that opening scene with Woody Allen as an ant on a psychiatrist's couch saying, you just have no idea what it's like to be a middle child of five million. Um, but um, it went a little bit over Hattie's head. She has relatively sophisticated t- tastes, as we've said, adores Paddington too with me. But do you think Cruella is one for little kids or a bit scary? Oh, I think it might be a bit scary. Right. I mean, there's a couple of pretty vicious scenes. But um, no, it's um, it's really enjoyable and it is clearly going to be a franchise. I mean, obviously, the Dodie Smith story has become a major so cartoon versions, movie versions with you know real people in it. But um, this one is going to, you can tell, the, the ending makes it clear that this is just the beginning Okay, how Estella becomes Cruella. There is a, there is, there are sympathetic sides to her character, but there is clearly a very nasty side in this split personality and it's, oh, it's extraordinary. Anyway, well, I really enjoyed it. Good good to hear. And we love Dodie Smith and we hope that her estate is uh, is reaping the rewards of yet another spin-off from that wonderful 101 Dalmatians. You have a recipe now. We're back to Italy. Yeah, well, I, I left the movie and I wandered home and I got out my old cookbook and made an old family favourite, the Robert Carrier version of Ossobuco. Now, this is just, this is just such a, a classic Italian Haven't you meal. done this recipe on I have, this podcast before? But I, I thought, I know you would say that, and you're right, and you were listening well done. But you know what, Corrie? Bad luck. Bad luck. It was so long ago that I think it's worth doing again because it is so simple and so perfect. Would go down very nicely with either of Miles's wines today. Um, you basically go to the market or the butcher and you buy those veal shanks and they cut them up for me as I was looking, you know, as I was looking at him. So I knew that they were really, really fresh. Smaller shanks are better. Toss them in a big bag with flour, salt and pepper and brown them off in about two tablespoons. And I did enough for, well, five people, it was six people, but their five came to dinner and it all nearly got finished. Um, Brown them off in two tablespoons of olive oil and two tablespoons of butter. Are you allowed to have five butter. people at home? Well, three of them were family members. Oh, okay. That's in fact, fair. all of them were family members <laughs> and four, of the, three of them live in the house. So, yes, I am. Please. <laughs> Just checking. 
Osabuka, we should say, originates from the Lombardy region. Lombardy. Lombardy region. Not a Lombardy poplar, although they must come from Lombardy as well. Or Off Lombardy. topic. Keep going. Brown no, it you're off. Gonna, you're not going to read the whole recipe again, are no, you? Well, it's so simple. You brown it off in two tablespoons of butter and two tablespoons of olive oil. Take it out. Cook up a, span, cook up a, a red onion and about four cloves of garlic. Chuck in about four tablespoons of tomato paste, a cup of white wine and a cup and a half of light chicken stock, which I was making on the stove next to the Osabuco. You'll be very impressed to hear. Pour in the veal, put the lid on, put it in the oven on about 170 for an hour and a half. That was it. And then right at the end, just before you serve it, chuck in finely chopped another two cloves of garlic and a can of anchovies. Oh, see, anchovies are just, aren't they a winner in everything? And, in everything. And the gremolata, well, you know, traditionally it says a um, bit of garlic, bit of lemon rind, bit of parsley. I added orange rind as well and I put a little um, tub of olives, on the green olives on the table as well. You rock a gremolata, oh, I have to say. I rock an osabuco. That Robert Carrier recipe, which if I, I may got say from myself, our friend Mary, Mary Beasley, years ago, is the easiest, most beautiful recipe. They say it's best if you leave it for a day. It was absolutely beautiful, made two hours before, and the next day, chuck in the leftovers to a ragu with pasta. Yum. Yum. So that's the recipe of the week. And are you watching Stanley Tucci's cooking show? Yes, I am. I'm going to talk about that. Well, you want to do a film next week. I might do Stanley as a separate breakout. Um, yes, watch it. CNN. And I'm not sure if you, if you don't have CNN, I'm not sure how you'll get it. Probably on your computer somehow, but it's just great. But I'll talk about it next week. So that was BSF for Red Energy, the most satisfied customers at Red Energy for 11 years in a row. Call them on 131806 for Real Aussie Energy and the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Corrie is grumpy. Well, I'm not sure uh, about the Italian connection of Barnaby Joyce. Let's just pretend that his <laughs> great-grandmother was from Naples. But um, <laughs> Barnaby Joyce has made me grumpy. He's returned this week as the leader of the National Party, which means he is now also the Deputy Prime Minister. What an extraordinary comeback. What an extraordinary comeback. Now, you and I dealt with Barnaby Joyce quite significantly three years ago when he was um, ousted as the party leader because of allegations of sexual harassment. Uh, There was an eight-month inquiry by the Nationals into that claim, by the way, and they still came to no conclusion, they said, based on lack of evidence. So there's still a big question mark over that. And many women in uh, in country Australia, in rural Australia, are actually quite agitated about the fact that Barnaby Joyce is now back in the chair. Now, why am I grumpy about Barnaby Joyce? First of all, he lied to his leader, Malcolm Turnbull. Who instituted the bonking ban, partly as a result of Barnaby, although we now know not only because of Barnaby. In Malcolm Turnbull's most excellent memoir that came out last year, he talked about this particular episode where he called Barnaby Joyce, then leader of the Nationals, into his office and said, look, I've heard these rumours about a relationship you're having with a staffer, Vicky Campion, who, of course, Barnaby Joyce is now with and they now have two children. That's great. No one has a problem with that relationship. But Malcolm said at the time, look, this is actually not appropriate. She's a staffer. And Barnaby denied it and said we're not having it. So to lie to your Prime Minister, to lie to your leader is just not on as far as I'm concerned. Prominent rural women have come out to say that they are furious about this and that is a moving story this week. And so I'm pretty cross about um, on their behalf. And then another reason, Carol, in this post-Brittany Higgins world, you would think federal parliament would actually be wise up to this now. 
And who has who are the men? And I think there may be a couple of women. I have no idea. In the party room of the Nationals, who have voted Barnaby back as a leader, leaders are supposed to lead with core ethics, values, things that people look up to and admire. Mm-mm, not sure about that. And then Barnaby. Another reason I'm grumpy. Yesterday at the press conference, he said, "I don't want to dwell on the personal." Well, I'm sorry, Barnaby, but we need to know the character of our leaders. This is personal. Well, I think I think the other issue, or the issue with Vicky Campion, was she was sort of moved from department to department. So there was there was an inappropriate relationship issue there as well. And Tom Maneer in the Herald Sun, I thought, put it quite well. He said it's only a matter of time before Barnaby Joyce goes rogue and ruins the internal unity Scott Morrison has long maintained. And Michael McCormick, even though some people say look a bit of a dull leader, not terribly inspiring, he was loyal. He was loyal to his prime minister, and he was loyal to all um, coalition policy. So I'm just like oh, a little bit uh, grumpy about that, Caro. But there you go. Not grumpy about anything to do with Italy. Six quick questions now for Red Energy. Now, Caro, me to you. Should Scott Morrison have gone to the G7 and had personal side trips to trace his family roots? Look, I don't have an issue with this. I know people are up in arms about the fact that he's able to quarantine in Canberra, but, you know, people like Danny Minogue got special treatment. Surely the Prime Minister of Australia, although we are not in the G7, I, I, want, our, I want our leader to be there with America and with Europe. I, I don't think that is a massive problem. I think it's good for Australia that he's there. I think that if you're in Cornwall and he had family, I, I gather the trip was a bit of a disaster to trace his family roots, but anyway, that didn't work out. He's there. Why not do it? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. And he is the Prime Minister, surely the Prime Minister, who has come home and isolating in the lodge deserves some special treatment. Well, as one who has been, uh, who who was taken to a hotel room for two weeks and not allowed out to quarantine, as you were recently, how do you feel about Scott well, Morrison being allowed to quarantine well, at the I'm lodge? Well, I'm not the Prime Minister. I mean, I think it's a bit childish to suggest he shouldn't be allowed to. He's running the country. I mean, he does deserve some special exemption, I think. So, no, I don't have a problem with it. And I think it's good that we're at these important meetings, even if we're not part of the G7. Corrie, which political comeback are you most looking forward to watching over the next few weeks? Daniel Andrews' return to work. Whoa. Yeah. So the Victorian this Premier weekend, comes back. Yeah, comes back after his a long recovery from a bad fall he had in March and the fall caused spinal damage. Been a lot of rumours, uh, inferences, lack of detail which we as taxpayers deserve to know why our Premier has been off and exactly the circumstances of him being off. I think he's coming in to get to, into a huge maelstrom of angst. Um, many, including myself, would argue the most recent lockdown in Victoria was the toughest and anti-Andrews government sentiment is growing. And there are just so many of us who are in a state of fury about what, what's been happening. And I think we need to hear some very clear messages from the Premier. But we also need to hear about the circumstances behind his lengthy uh, recuperation and his radio silence on the topic. So I'm looking forward to that, Caro. Now, who should the federal government be? Who should the federal government be using to promote vaccination? Well, any I presume government. you mean like um, Dolly Parton is being used in. Yeah, and Elton John and yeah, Michael Caine. In the Kane. U.S. and the U.K. Kevin Sheedy. Have you, did you watch his love letter to <laughs> Melbourne or Victoria? Oh, no, I did Oh, Corrie. Does, you... does he resonate nationally, do you think? Well, I, I actually, I was more thinking in terms of Victoria, but I think he has got a bit of a presence nationally. But no, 
Listen, everything he touches in terms of promotion turns to gold. I mean, look at even even the country game, which is a bit naff, has taken off to a degree. The Dreamtime game, Anzac Day, all part of the Kevin Sheedy, you know, even down in Tasmania on Sunday, watching that, sorry to bring up the war, but watching those Essendon supporters still waving their jackets. Oh, get over it. Kevin Sheedy wrote a love letter to Victoria over the weekend. He said... Um, Oh, he, he referred to it um, in terms of the Facebook status has gone to um, up in the air or something in terms of the love between Victorians and their state. But he basically said, stick with us, look at the tan, look at this, look at that, look at the MCG. It was published in, the, um, I think, the News Corp media. I think Kevin Sheedy, if he stood, sat there with his top off getting the jab, Do you I reckon? think... If I was an anti-vaxxer, I would just say, I don't care whether, and I'm stressing I'm not because I've, if you're an had, the first, I've yeah, had the first the, vaccination. The anti-vaxxers aren't the people you're trying to win over. They're not going to get vaccinated. It's the people who are just being a bit sluggish about it, and there are a lot of those, the people with inertia. Corey, following the sad news about the closing of my bookshop, what's the best thing that's happened to you? Oh, there's not a lot of best things, can I tell you? But look, to speak very generally, Caro, just all the wishes of, of love and support, and what I've realised is that when a local bookshop closes, there is a community that, like its owner, is bereft. But I do particularly want to thank Marg, whose recipe I will talk about next week. Marg, who's one of our longtime customers and book clubbers, she brought in her homemade shortbreads because she felt that the staff needed a bit of a sugar lift. Well, they are delicious, Marg. Thanks for that. Oh. Although just stressing, on a diet, everybody, so please don't start bringing in all the shortbreads. That's very kind. Um, Caro, the new... <laughs> Why are you on a diet? We're ridiculous. The, new, the, new, the new Julie Bishop Barbie doll has caused a flurry of commentary. Is there an Australian woman you'd have preferred to see as the Australian representative in the Mattel Toys Barbie Trailblazer series? What about a Caroline Wilson Bell a, a doll, Miss Jane? A you Caroline know, Wilson Barbie doll. You know, I reckon that's the look, don't you? I tell you who, um, this is a, a strange one, but she is someone who I think we've watched her progress personally, professionally, on a human side for years. And I understand she has a milestone birthday as we're around the time we're sitting here today talking. And that's Raylene Boyle. Raylene Boyle has been was an absolute. I'm sorry, icon. that's not me laughing. That's Jane Potties. I just want you to know. Why I love Ra- Raylene I love Raylene. Boyle. Raylene Boyle. I can see a green and yellow tracksuit on a Barbie. I mean, uh, you talk to my husband Brendan, and he talks about yeah, he was a he was a runner when he was a teenager, and going to a meet somewhere and um, watching Raylene Boyle just lying on the grass, chewing a bit of grass in her running gear with those beautiful long legs. I mean, she was someone I just adored growing up. She's had personal tragedy. She's had trauma. She's had sporting disappointment. She's had sporting triumph. She's had her battle with breast cancer that she has just absolutely trailblazed with her work for Breast Cancer Network Australia. Um, She now lives in Queensland. We've watched so many parts of Raylene's story. And I just think, and look, she never won an Olympic gold medal. Obviously, that's part of her story as well. What would be the dress-ups for the Barbie doll, the Raylene Barbie? Oh, I I think we'd see her in a pink poncho promoting BCNA. I think we'd see her in the green and gold of Australia in her running gear. In yet another unattractive Olympic... I think suit. we'd see her in her sports commentary role, calling that unbelievable run by Cathy Freeman at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And what are your thoughts on the Julie Bishop doll? Oh, 
What was she? Was a very successful politician who quit while she was ahead. So I think it's a fantastic idea. And great high heels. And too. she's stylish. Yeah. She got the red shoes on. In the, I, I don't think know. she has. I, don't know. I mean, obviously, Julia Gillard made it to Prime Minister. So, you know, but there's something about Julie Bishop that I think she's pe- very stylish. People from all sides, you know, really admire. Anyway, that would be mine. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, someone like Kate Blanchett would be. And I'm sorry, Corey, but Nicole Kidman wouldn't be bad either. And there are some brilliant scientists and there are so many others. But I just... I will, Raylene, not, I will not be giving Hattie the Nicole Kidman Barbie doll. Raylene is someone who resonated with me and many Australians over many, many decades. Will you be watching Celebrity MasterChef? No, I will not, Why? Caro. No, You're a fan, I, I No, no. Well, no, I'm a fan of MasterChef. So MasterChef is all about... The reason we love MasterChef and we have for 11 years is because it's authentic, because it's real and these are home cooks who genuinely adore their food. They're passionate about it. You can't They're, tell me they make those meals in the time they say they do. But oh, anyway. Harrow, that's just so wicked. That just undermines the premise of the whole show mm. when you say something like that. Mm. Um, I just don't want to really see Ian Thorpe or Nick Revolt or Chrissy Swan whose child vomited in my shop once, um, or Colette <laughs> it's Dinnigan. It's not her fault. Are they on no, the, they the ones who are fault. on it? I'm not saying it's her fault. It was an aside. Really? They're on it. Yeah, Rebecca Gibney's on it. I love her. Yeah, but is she a great cook? Does she love cooking like some of these people in the real show? No, Caro. I won't be watching Celebrity MasterChef, but look, go ahead on my behalf and also go ahead and dream of Italy, everyone. What a lovely show. I'm looking forward to reading this book, Still Life by Sarah Winman, and I might make Osabuco again this weekend, Corrie. The Good recipe will be on our show notes, Miss Jane. I'll get it to you um, while I'm drinking a bottle of Suavo. Yeah, Suave. Suave. God, the accent, Jane. <laughs> We're just going to I actually to do studied about Italian that. for a few years at oh, school don't, too. Don't admit that too loudly. Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Miss Jane, of course, for producing our podcast, and thank you to Red Energy, a hundred percent Australian electricity and gas, and of course to our friends Prince Wine Store. We love your support, and we really appreciate you being on board. And don't forget, if you want to win the Prince Wine Store. Wine store introductory wine course valued at $350 per person. Um, just go into our show notes and you can all princewinestore.com.au and you can see all the details there. Tell you, us in 100 words or less about your best wine experience or adventure. Yes, and also tell us where you'd like to go in Italy too, because that could be interesting uh, discussion for next week. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you can. Um, Join us uh, and get the show notes by hitting the sign-up button on Facebook and then you will see what we're up to. And, of course, any notes or brickbats bouquets send to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Lovely episode. Buona sera. Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Home Style with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.